My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. This is a podcast about the middle grade series, The Animorphs. So normally we'll be talking about one book each week, but um, this is our introductory episode where we talk about kind of our backgrounds with the series, introduce each other, and then get into Gray's understanding of what the books are about because she has never read them before. So Jenny and I kind of get to explain the premise. Hope you enjoy it. Why are we doing a podcast? Ah, good question, Gray. Mostly because... I said to Ted, I'm thinking about rereading all the Animorphs books and maybe, you know, blogging about it or something. And he said, what if we make a podcast about it? It's perfect for podcasting. The books are really short. (laughs) There's a lot to talk about. Basically, every time Jenny and I have talked about the Animorphs over the past few years, we can't stop talking about it. Much to the chagrin of everyone around us. So, you know, might as well do it for an audience that might want to listen. Why did you sign up for this, Gray? So I never read The Animorphs, and I'm very excited to do so because I really love middle grade fiction and young adult sci-fi and fantasy. I find it a really interesting genre, but also, you guys are super obsessed with these books. (laughs) They must be good, right? It's true. So I I will read them. Having just reread a couple of them, the nostalgia factor is too great. I can't can't be an objective judge of the book. So you're going to have to tell us whether they're good or not. I'm here for you guys. I'm happy to explain to you why they're terrible. I do. Why they're great. Yeah, I do think they are good in many ways. I think that the language is meant for children in a way that makes it harder to appreciate them as adults. So it'll be interesting to see how you react to that. I can't wait. Another reason why I'm excited to do this podcast is I would have killed for something like this when I was 13. I like ate up every little bit of anything I could find about Animorphs online, but it was like before online fandom was really a thing, and I didn't have any. Like, Ted, you seem to have people in your life where you could talk about these books with, and I talked to my sister about them a little, but she wasn't really into them the way I was, and like, I wanted friends who were obsessed with them to talk about them like so much. I definitely love these books way more than anything else I've ever loved in my life, except for like people I've been romantically involved with. Yeah, so I first started reading these books when I was 13, which I was convinced was way too old to be reading anything like this. I mean, this was before Harry Potter made its big splash. Like I think Harry Potter came out around the same time, but like the YA adult crossover wasn't really as much of a thing. And um, and I was also 13, the age at which you're like, I'm supposed to be a certain level of adult. And I was reading these books meant for like, you know, elementary school kids. and. It was all very humiliating, but also I was completely addicted. And I picked them up because my sister, who was three grades younger than me, brought one home. She borrowed it from a friend. And I was really bored one night, and I picked it up. I was like, this is probably dumb. And I read it, and I was like, that was pretty good. It was, it was the fourth book. Um, and then a few days later, she brought home the sixth book. And I was like, I guess the first one was OK. I'll read this one. And I read it, and I was just like, I was so hooked. Um, <laughs> Our town, we just moved to a new town and the library was being renovated. And so I couldn't get these books. I was 13, I didn't have a car, I didn't have any money. Like I couldn't buy the books at the bookstore. And also I was like horribly embarrassed to be reading this series meant for little kids. Um, so I didn't really want anyone to know how much I loved them, but I also was like so desperate to get my hands on them. Like anytime my sister would bring one home, um, she kept, she was still borrowing them from this friend, even though she was like, she like liked them, she didn't love them. I would like snatch it and like read it like five times, like literally five times in a night and um do you remember what it was that drew you in I don't know I mean it's not it's not like it wasn't like a specific thing I think I don't want to get in too much into like the dynamics of it that drew me in because I think we're gonna talk about that a little later with Gray here who has never read them but I just something about the premise was so completely captivating I remember um This was like, we had dial-up internet, um, and this was before like fandom online was really a big thing, like, 
but there was like a scholastic site and there were a few fan sites and so I'd sit in our kitchen but like a computer was like facing the room and I was horribly embarrassed to be sitting here with like everyone could see that I was looking at Animorphs fan sites and, uh, and you know we only had like the one phone line so I couldn't be on for too long but I would like go to all the fan sites and I had like screen names on them and like post my theories. Oh my gosh do you remember any of your screen names? <laughs> um, it wasn't like Animorphs focus screen okay. names but yeah it was uh it was quite the like the phase of like intense obsession and I was like I think it took until like I was in college for me to feel comfortable like saying anything about this book series to anyone in real life like <laughs> I had like email correspondence with other fans who are also super into it like when I was 13 and 14 um but like like saying these words aloud would have been like incredibly embarrassing to my teenage self 13 year olds are very melodramatic I haven't read the books in years. I'm really excited to read them again. Um, but they are very deeply embedded in like my formative <laughs> journey through life. So it's like really fascinating and almost liberating to like take this part of my life that was so important to me and that I never really got to share with anyone and talk about it with you guys. So there does seem to be a little bit of an Animorphs renaissance happening on the Ooh. internet of people you know, the fandom coming out of the woodwork, people creating podcasts like this one. Uh, there's a lot of kind of stuff going on. So I think there's some kind of larger phenomenon that we're tapping into of people remembering that the Animorphs were actually good. And Gray, <laughs> you just found an article online that was you know, someone making that case. Yes, this is a, a Tor.com article uh, that I came across when I was trying to do as much spoiler-free research as I possibly could. That sounds it like looked, a really difficult project. It was. I, I read the first few sentences and then thought, this is probably going to have spoilers, and sent it to the two of you to read yeah. for me. Good call. So we should probably talk about that a little bit. I think our idea is that we want to keep the podcast as spoiler-free as possible. We Partly want, for Grey. Right, yeah. so that we can talk about Grey's reactions and so that... We can save, you know, the discussion for kind of when it comes up in the books, stick to the text instead of kind of jumping to the end and hashing out everything that everything that comes up all at once. I was one of those elementary school kids who I, I got into Animorphs because it was by far the coolest book that the Scholastic Book Club offered. So I don't actually know exactly which year it was that I started reading it because I have two memories. One is that I was able to, every month at Scholastic Book Club, get the next book in the series. And I, I seem to remember getting like the first, second, third, fourth, fifth for like all of third or fourth grade or something like that. But I also remember there were the longer tie-in books that came out. The, uh, so like the first, oh, yeah. the first Chronicles book. And it was released through the book club in three parts. <gasps> so I remember, I distinctly remember getting one of the, I think maybe one of the first things that I read was the, the first bit of the first Chronicles book. And then not getting a resolution there and having to go back and reread some of the other things. So from fourth grade to seventh grade, I read them religiously. Every month for a while, they would a new one would come out. And... I definitely remember, so I was completely obsessed in fourth grade and fifth grade, and I, I kept reading them even as I was growing out of being the kind of like target age mm -hmm. group for them. But I wasn't involved in kind of online fandom at all, but I did have a group of friends who read them in fourth and fifth grade with me, and then I was the only one who Aww. continued to read them. But towards the end of the series, I would kind of be like, hey, maybe read this one. <laughs> maybe read this one. I need to maybe talk to somebody about ones. it. Even then, you right. were an Animorphs pusher. Right. Um, yeah. And it, it got to the point where I would be super excited in, like, seventh grade whenever a new book came out. But I, So I would get my parents to drive me to the bookstore and then I would start reading the book in the back of the car on the way home. And then we would get home and I would just leave the book in the car because I'd already finished reading the, you know, 100, 100 pages. See, I would have so. just read it four more times immediately. Yeah. But those, those were also the later books that probably weren't, That's true. Yeah. weren't worth rereading. Um, yeah, no, I did the same thing with, like, the bookstore every month. I actually, I think I still have the, like, the local bookstore's number memorized, like, at the town I grew up in, because I would call them be like, so is this book in yet? And they'd be like, nope, not yet. <laughs> and then I would have to get my parents to drive me. 
I so I, I have reread the whole series a few years ago. Uh, one of my friends sent me an email with all of the the PDFs that he'd found online, and this is one of my college friends who also was kind of into into Animorphs at the same time. And so I've sort of had the like looking back and realizing kind of what a formative experience it was for me. But I was trying to think like what drew me in at the time. And I think the the thing that was like when I was in fourth grade, I was like reading, I was reading a lot of other kind of sci-fi stuff, but it was more kind of like Star Wars, which is a lot more kind of like, you know, like an epic story. It's, you know, transporting you to a far off place. But the Animorphs is like really grounded in kind of a relatable teen experience even though there's lots of bonkers sci-fi stuff going on. So I feel like that was kind of what drew me in. And it's only in retrospect that I have sort of realized how much the themes were more interesting than that. So both of you mentioned that these books were aimed at kind of a younger audience, mm-hmm. an elementary school age audience, but I had always thought of them as being middle grade, like middle school to early high school. And they're described in the little bit of research I did as young adult. Books. Oh yeah, no, they're not. Okay. They're not young adult. They're middle grade is really the right description, but like middle grade, usually like the characters are in middle school and like the, it's aimed at like, you know, maybe yeah. fifth through seventh grade, you know, okay. it's, the language is very <clears throat> simple. And the Animorphs, they're all 13 when yeah. it starts. So as a nine-year-old when I started reading. You know, that was, they seemed really grown up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those 13-year-olds. I mean, the, relative to most 13-year-olds, they were pretty grown up, or at least became so quickly. Right. Well, I haven't read them. I'm your token never read. Um, but I remember the covers. They're very distinctive people morphing into animals, and I think they must have just freaked me out. I never had no. Those any covers were the best in reading them. <laughs> They're so bizarre. I'm pretty neutral on the subject of the covers, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, now looking back, they are so fascinating, and how they did these covers in the mid '90s, pre, you know, good computer Photoshop abilities, is just amazing. I mean, they do look pretty janky. (laughs) (laughs) The middle picture on each cover is so terrifying (laughs) to this day. I have have questions. I don't know if you know this, but the covers aren't the only iconic part of the books themselves, right? So you have the cover where the kid turns into an animal and it's different every time. But in the corner of each book is a little flip animation of the transformation. So what? Here, I'll show you. Space is going crazy here. <laughs> what? So I'm sure that you've looked at this. This is the cover for the first book that we're going to read for next time. And in the corner of the book, as you flip through the pages, is this little what? animation, which we can someone has graciously created in <laughs> GIF form, and we can post well, in the show notes. <laughs> what? In case anyone's listening to this who didn't read the books. This is incredible. So yeah, this technology is like also one of the coolest things that drew me in, right? So you get the book and the first thing you do is you flip through all the pages and you're like, oh, that's so cool. Because I remember making those as a kid and it was, you know, mine was always the guy jumping on a trampoline, right? Because Mm -hmm. I'm not a very good artist. But I remember making little flip books like that. That is, if I had known about that, maybe I would have read them. See, once I started buying the books for myself, I cared a lot about keeping them in pristine condition, so I would never flip the corners. <gasps> You're missing out on this crazy... I was really there more for the story. Oh, well. <laughs> I collected them obsessively, but I never cared about mm. sort of preserving things. It's good. I mean, it's a good combination of things, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I worked in a children's library in the early 2000s, and so I remember reshelving them all the time. Never, unlike many of the other books I shelved, never wanting to just sit in the aisle and read that book. And as far as I knew, they never reached that same level of popularity as a lot of the other books that came out at that same time. Mid-90s was this sort of boom in children's and young adult literature, especially science fiction and fantasy. So um, Harry Potter and then The Hunger Games and all of those. So, um, But because Animorphs weren't never... As far as I knew, as popular, I just I just didn't read them. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's... They were never as popular as Harry Potter and the Hunger Games, but Harry Potter really started that, like, mm-hmm. and it reached its popularity after the Animorphs had sort of waxed and waned. So I think Animorphs were very, very popular, sort of in within the realm of pre-Harry Potter children's book popularity, mm-hmm. uh, but they never had the crossover appeal. Um, like I mentioned, like, they aren't really written 
for adults to enjoy. Like, you read a Harry Potter book, and it's not like, you're like, well, the language is really simple, but I guess I like the story. Like, it's written that, like, adults yeah. can read and enjoy. And Animorphs really weren't targeted that way. They didn't really have that potential. And, and they also don't seem to have stayed popular even with kids. Like, it doesn't seem like new generations of kids are discovering them to the same extent. So it was really, like, of that time, and that time was, like, before YA became what it is now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I just, I hadn't read them as either as that part of that job or as part of my library science degree. Yeah, if you'd been getting the degree 10 years earlier, you might have I think I probably, yeah, yeah, would have read them. Although I I wonder too, and maybe we should talk about this at some point, but the serialization of books at that time was, is really interesting. Mm. So the Animorphs had, you know, there are lots of them, but there are also lots of the Babysitter's Club. There are lots mm-hmm. of Saddle Club. There are lots of books in these sort of middle grade fiction series where rather than being seven book arc of the same characters like Harry Potter, uh-huh. it was 30 books with mostly the same characters who kind of came in and out and occasionally they'd add a new character for interest. And but, it was very exciting. Yeah, but there were just a lot of books in those series, which is just sort of interesting. Is that a thing that exists now? Like, it might just be something that happens that isn't on my radar because I don't have kids? And, or is it was it, like, really of its time? This is a good question. There are some children's series now that have a number of books, but I can't think of any middle grade books that do. There are, there are series, but they, as far as I know, are shorter where one book comes out a year rather mm-hmm. than one book coming out a month, for example. I mean, it's in more the... Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys yeah. tradition, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if how popular those books still are or whether they're kind of, someone's taken on that mantle or if everyone's now more in the J.K. Rowling mode. Well, also, um, it's more like a TV series, right? Like, it doesn't exactly reset after every book, but there is sort of a, a formula. Um, each book is its own plot the way, at a certain time, each episode of a TV show was its own plot. And maybe there would be an arc, but there were still like episodic things that happened. And that has also sort of changed. Like TV is much more like you watch a season of something and maybe it's all released at the same time on Netflix and that season is an arc and maybe there's some episodic nature, but like much less so. So I wonder if those things have happened in parallel at all. Like this idea that we consume large chunks of something rather than consuming something every week or every month. So that actually leads to one of my questions, which is, I, I remember there being roughly a hundred books, <laughs> shelves and shelves of these books. Yeah. And each of them had a different animal morphing thing on the cover. So my question is, is this something like Friends on television uh-huh. or, or The Babysitter's Club or Fab Five or whatever, where there are the same handful of characters in every book? And maybe they get to be a different animal in each book? Or is it a series of 100 books where there are 100 different kids with this crazy ability? <laughs> and they it's one kid per book learning how to do whatever thing they do to become animals. So it's, it's more the first one. It okay. is like a set of characters that you follow through the series. And there aren't, don't worry, you're not signing on for that many episodes of the podcast. There are, so there are 54 books in sort of the standard series. And then there's... There's, there's like... Four Megamorphs. Yeah, there's there's eight more kind of other tie-in books. Did you read the Alternomorphs, the Choose Your Own Adventure ones? I did read those. I think we should never speak of them again. <laughs> I approve of this. This is now a podcast rule. <laughs> so what the, about the the, uh, the Vegemorphs? I'm sorry, what? I don't know about the Vegemorphs. Are you what? making this up? No. What? This is, I think we haven't really talked about this, but this is kind of like also modeled after uh, Goosebumps a little bit, right? Like, it's that kind of, there's a million of them, and it keeps going. I'm going, like, towards Bunicula here in my mind. (laughs) Right, right. So I feel like this was not something that they actually wrote, but it was something that came out to capitalize on the idea of the Animorphs. Uh, The book was called Vegemorphs, The Fungus Among Us. (laughs) No, it wasn't. Um, And... It, it, it was about kids who can turn into vegetables. No, it wasn't. So this was not written by Kay Applegate and, and company? No, it was it was attributed to Kay Applegate, but it was actually written by someone else. Wow, I, I totally so missed this. So this came out in 1998, so a couple of years into the, the Animorphs craze. 
So I don't know that we necessarily also need to cover that. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best thing I've ever heard. Oh my so. God. There was also, so other interesting things that might speak to the popularity of the series now that we're talking about how it was kind of like a phenomenon. It was a book that came out every month, right? So they were, uh, I read a little bit about the authors of the series and they were at, at some point contracted for 14 Animorphs books a year. Oh. So 12 of the normal books and then those tie-ins we mentioned, like one of one of each of the two kinds. And they also had other writing stuff that they were working on. So they ended up having ghostwriters write much of the later parts of the series. And so I think there's a noticeable drop in quality about halfway through. And that was probably right at the time the popularity of the series was kind of taking off. So that could be a reason why it never achieved the the sort of like lasting success that other other series did. The other thing that happened is they it, it was big enough to get a TV show on Nickelodeon. I think it came out in 1998 and they leaned into two things that were really bad ideas. Child actors and CGI Ooh. for the morphing ability. <laughs> in uh, the 90s. In the 90s. 90s with very, very limited budget. Oh, dear. And so this was even as a, you know, fifth grader, sixth grader, whenever whenever this came out, I was a huge snob and hated everything about the TV <laughs> show. The adaptation was bad, the effects were bad. And so I think there was a chance if they had done maybe like an animated series or something else that would have made it work, it again could have reached a bigger audience at that time. But if anyone was like, hey, Animorphs, I've been hearing about this, I'm going to watch the <laughs> show on Nick at Night, they would have turned away. Yeah, I didn't watch the show because I I tend to be very much a purist with the things that I read. I've like I still haven't seen the Harry Potter movies and I was very much like never put images of the show in front of my face. So even if it had been good, I probably wouldn't have watched it. That reminds me a little bit of Power Rangers, which I loved in the mid nineties. They were sort of teen actors and it had some particularly bad CGI. But again, it was sort of a, a core group of five or six people, yep. each of whom had specific abilities, and then there was some morphing. <laughs> oh yeah, they're things. like the Mighty Morphin Power They're Rangers. the Mighty Morphin yeah. Power Rangers. Yeah. They morph into ninjas and then come together and form big animals that fight aliens. It's been a while, you guys. I don't remember. I like this trend of like people combining into animals. Yeah, so to go back to this, this thing where Kay Applegate, apparently the writing team that was Catherine Applegate and I guess her husband, Michael Grant, looking back on that, the pace of 14 books a year is so insane. I'm amazed the beginning of the series is as good as it is. I can't imagine doing that. And also this whole ghostwriter thing is like, does that happen these days? Yes. Yeah. It does. It, it happens with a lot of adult authors. Oh, that's true. Right? Like so, thrillers. Especially thrillers. But the authors who are especially prolific eventually turn to ghostwriters. Now mm-hmm. it's either ghostwriters or co-writers. Mm-hmm. So if you look at um, James Patterson, for example. Yeah, he was really who good. I was thinking of. Yeah, he, he writes several books a year and now they're kind of co-authored and really often what that means and no slander intended for James Patterson so maybe he doesn't do this but often what it means is the co-writer writes the whole thing but James Patterson puts his name on it so it sells Mm -hmm. and eventually the co-writer can then go off and do their own series with a little bit more name recognition than they would get if they were just ghostwriting. So it's more like a brand than an author Yeah, um, in some cases. Mm-hmm. And there's a few sci-fi fantasy authors who do the same thing. But the idea of having a ghostwriter is really interesting. There were some young adult series that had done that, had it actually written by syndicate. So Nancy Drew and Hardy Boy, as you mentioned earlier, the publisher made the made up the author's name mm-hmm. and then hired a series of writers to write the different books. So they'd write five or ten books at a time and try to be all in the same style, but, but they all were under the name that the publisher had chosen. So it was sort of ghostwriting, but, but not really, and um, this seems like maybe it's slightly different than that. Mm-hmm. So the story that I got um, from reading a couple of interviews with Kay Applegate and Michael Grant um, was that they became co-writers basically because she was she started out as a ghostwriter for the Sweet Valley Twins <gasps> series. I read so many of those. Oh um, I wasn't allowed to read Sweet Valley High. I read all the twins. Exactly. Ones. Yeah, it was the twins, not Sweet Valley High. And so at some point, even before Animorphs, she had taken on too many contracts and said to Michael, hey, you need to write a book now. Did he so write before keep- this? His background is less is less in writing. I think he. Uh, the impression that I got from reading his interview was that he learned on the job. But I'm, okay. I'm by no means an expert. They I'm both impressed. have gone on to have careers together and individually since since Animorphs. 
So they were pretty burnt out writing and ghostwriting uh, the middle grade romance stuff that they were doing. And the Animorphs was kind of their last ditch pitch to Scholastic. What would we actually want to write about? Let's pitch this crazy sci-fi thing. I'm and, so glad they did. And they said yes. Um, and so then they, again, bit off more than they could chew. A few years into it, they had their first kid. They were doing 14 books a year. They were starting a new series. I think the Everworld series was another mm-hmm. one they were working on together. I read that, all those. That ramped up in the middle. And so that's why they brought in the ghostwriters. Mm. And what they said is that having been ghostwriters themselves, they know that it can work. But they were terrible bosses. They provided outlines, but then were really not able to give feedback, edit things well. And so what they wrote all of the uh, tie-in books themselves, the, the sort of outside the main series, and they came back and wrote the last two. So they were responsible for the ending. Gray has right now sort of no idea what she's in for. And once we start reading the first book, we can never, we can never go back to where we are now. So Much like the Animorphs themselves. Much like the Animorphs themselves. So Gray, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you think might be going on in these books? This is the definition of judging a book by its cover. <laughs> but here's what I, I think I know about it. Uh, this is a group of kids who somehow get the uncanny ability to change into animals. That you are correct. Is, <laughs> that is not a plot, though. That is a premise. And so I have some questions about what happens All next. right, yeah, what are your questions? How exactly do they get these powers? Do mm. they get bitten by a radioactive spider? Is there some kind of nuclear fallout event? Like maybe Are, they have to be bitten by each animal, like yeah, a radioactive oh, version of each yes, animal? Yes, exactly. There's some, somewhere there's a radioactive lizard running around and it bites the first kid and that's where we get these books from. I mean, they could be magic. I have no idea. How, how right. do they so become So they have to animals? keep putting themselves in danger to get bitten by <laughs> better more radioactive and more animals. powerful animals. <laughs> so I kind of want to write this up, series now. Yeah. All right, well, I, I think, what else, what, what other questions do you have? Okay, uh, then another question I have is, what do they do with these powers? Are they able to change into animals voluntarily, or is it pushed upon them somehow? And then once they turn into animals, do they use those powers to fight crimes, or invading aliens, or solve mysteries? Are they, they troublemakers and suddenly there are like lizards and spiders in the walls of the school making trouble? Um, that is another question I have. And then I have one more question, uh, main question, which is, and this is very important, mm-hmm. do these children get to choose which animal oh. they get to become at any given time? Or is it like having like a Patronus or something? Yes, like is it a Patronus where you don't get to choose, or is it an Animagus where you, Animagus where you do get to choose which animal you're going to turn into, um, in Harry Potter? And and if they don't get to choose, what happens if the animal that they morph into is useless? What if they turn into a scallop, <laughs> or or right. a gnat? So it's like all kids have the potential to be an animorph, and if you want to find like an elephant, you have to find you elephant. You find kid. that kid, right? Yeah, yeah, because that would be a whole. Like, then then the adventures are going to find the elephant kid. Right, you need an elephant for this for week's this, mystery, right? Or whatever for this whatever the genre plot. is. So. I want to write books based on all of these possible premises. There are so many good ideas here. So the other, so it could also be like an X Men school for mm. you know for mutants, where it's all of these kids Warfers. who yeah who had this ability like kind of come and they're in the same place and then they go on adventures together or again fight off invading forces. Great. I'm so excited for you to find out what these books are about. And then I, similarly to the to the being uh, getting to choose which animal you are, do they choose once and then they're stuck with that animal? Because I was thinking about this, and if I had to choose which animal I was going to morph into at the age of twelve, it would probably have been like a dolphin or something. I was one of those girls. I mean, dolphin is, would be a great choice for many circumstances. I lived in the Midwest. I would not. <laughs> Useful in exactly one situation if the mystery of the week takes place at the Shed Aquarium. Other than that, I'm out. Not helpful. Just going to be dragging you down. So these are some of the questions that I have. I'm sure I will have more as the series goes on, but please enlighten me. What is happening? I will say that there's one central piece of the premise that you've managed to remain entirely unspoiled about. Do you think that we should tell her what it is, Jenny? I think we should probably tell her what right. it is. I before, yeah. before that, though, so you suggested this, Gray, that before we read each book, based on the cover and the title, 
you kind of guess what you think the plot of the book is. So this is this is going to be the hardest guess right up front before Jenny and I explain the rest of the premise to you. But next, but it might be the most fun. Yep, we will be reading the invasion, the first book in the series. Do you want to describe what the cover looks like? Uh, I, okay, so this is a very grumpy looking end boy <laughs> who is morphing into a lizard. Sorry, I'm laughing at being uh, grumpy. He just—he looks very sullen. One, two, three. There are six images between the boy and the lizard, which frankly does not seem like enough because the two closest to the lizards just look like lizards, but the two closest to the boy are very alarming. Okay, uh, this—the title is the invasion, which answers a question because I did not remember these having titles at mm. all. So they do have titles. That's helpful. And there's a subtitle, which is, Some People Never Change, Some Do. <laughs> I think it's just like a cover blurb. <laughs> or cover blurb. I forgot they had those, actually. Yeah, they always have, like, some wise saying on the cover. Okay, so based on all of that information, the invasion is some kind... Okay, so I have two theories now. One is an invasion of some kind of radioactive thing. I'm sticking with this theory. <laughs> <laughs> and the other is that suddenly... Um, a bunch of these people turn into lizards all at once and invade something else. So the invasion is of lizards or of people who turn into lizards. I'm going with that one because the some people never change and some do. Okay, so the, it implies to me that suddenly this sullen young boy <laughs> and possibly his friends learn how to turn into lizards and then they all go off and invade whatever town they're in. This that's, is the most delightful thing that's ever happened. Yeah, well done, well done. Those were great, those were great guesses. The close reading of the cover was so great and so inaccurate. Because so the cover really gives you nothing. I found, I found a great quote from one of these online interviews that I read where they explain kind of how they came to the premise. So someone was asking, like, well, what inspired you to make the Animorphs? And so the first thing they said was a strong desire to make money. Uh, so this is Kay Applegate. Uh, saying, well, actually, Michael and I had written a bunch of YA romance and we're doing okay, but we both hated the work. I was ready to quit the series or quit series altogether, and he said, now nah, let's try again, but this time, what is it that you actually want to write? I said, I want to really show kids what it would be like to be in the heads of animals. And he said, well, that's a sci-fi premise. We're going to need aliens. What? <laughs> so they sent it off to Scholastic, and uh, that was the Animorphs. There, Wait, there are aliens. Are the kids aliens? No, the kids are normal humans. They get the power from an alien, and they use it to fight other aliens that are secretly invading the planet. Okay, wait. It's an alien invasion. Yes. Wait, one alien gives them the powers? Yeah, so uh, one of the good aliens gives them the power, but he's... You'll get into it with the plot does of book one. Does he bite them? How does he give them He the does power? not bite. There's, there's, a, there's a piece of technology. It's... <laughs> okay. They're a very advanced species of aliens. They have technology to turn into animals. He gives them this technology so that they can fight off the invasion of these. It's sort of like invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah. Type it's kind of like a Promethean aliens. thing. Like, here, I will bring this power to you, and then you can go off and save the world. Okay. Until, until the rest of the good aliens show up. This was the yeah. second question I had. Okay, so, yeah. so he is the scout for the good aliens who are coming sort to of. maybe protect the Earth from the bad aliens? Yes. Okay, fine. <laughs> and then he gives them this... Technology, which until proven otherwise, I'm going to assume is an amulet of some sort that they put over their heads and use to transform. It's even more boring than that. <laughs> but it is something where once they, once it is used on them, they have the power forever. They don't have to like hold this device. <clears throat> huh. Okay. Yeah. So then they have the ability to turn into any animal that they can touch and acquire the DNA of. So if you, yeah, <laughs> huh. if you have like a house cat in front of you, you could touch it and acquire its DNA and then you could turn into that house cat whenever you things. want. Yeah. <laughs> Are you saying there's some sort of unrealistic thing about this premise? Touching an animal and acquiring its DNA are, as far as I know, two very different well, things. Well, it's because they got the power to do this. Uh, the technology changed them so that they can do this. Uh-huh. And then, uh, side question, are the aliens that are invading... Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm now imagining a sort of a, a la Douglas Adams where due to a miscalculation they were all the size of houseflies and were eaten by a dog. It's <laughs> a line from Douglas Adams. But um, because I, I fail to see how a group of children turning into lizards is, is going to particularly <laughs> help with an alien invasion. Well, that's where the, uh, the genre comes in. 
the uh, the mystery of the week is how can some kids that can turn into animals save the world from an alien invasion? It's a very subtle invasion. These aliens sort of take over humans, so no one knows there's an invasion. Um, uh. And they it's it's right now and it's very like early slow spread like they're recruiting voluntary like controllers is what they're called so they haven't yet started you know blowing things up and trying to destroy the world they're just like very slowly spreading throughout the population so there are some things that that the animorphs are able to attack and and fight. that's probably key to your next question which is <laughs> why the, why are the kids the only ones that can help it's because of this invasion of the body snatchers type thing they other than the five of them who were there the night they all got their powers, there's no one else that they can trust. Yeah. Because they don't know if they've already been taken over by yep. the body snatchers. Interesting. Or yeah. pod people. or The Yerks. Nah. So it's actually, it's taken from Tolkien. Um, the word in, I forget if it's uh, Quenya or Sindarin, one of the Elvish languages for orcs is like Y-R- C-H, I think, or Y-R-C, maybe a singular. But yeah, Kay Applegate was a big Tolkien fan, so she took it from the word for orc. Okay, body-snatching orcs are invading Earth. <laughs> <laughs> they aren't actually orcs. <laughs> they're, they're tiny slugs. Okay, the lizard makes more sense now. <laughs> Why? Because presumably the lizard can eat the slug? No, the lizard well, is... I think that's a good guess. Well, that's, that's, that's a good yeah. guess. Well, you have to bear in mind that like sometimes <clears throat> they're they're trying to do battle but like because this is a secret war like they're not just trying for massive firepower they're trying to like sneak in and find things out and so there are some animals that are better than others for like being sneaky sure okay yeah. this is really a guerrilla warfare do any of them turn into gorillas yes <laughs> yes <laughs> okay all right that's excellent good to know i have so many more questions than i formerly had <laughs> So I will say that another part of the premise is like they have to keep this secret. Part of their effectiveness and protection is that the Yerks don't know who they are. Um, so they have to keep going to school. They have to keep living their normal lives. And I think that was actually a big part of the appeal for me, this combination of the amazing pressure of trying to live a full normal life and turn and like save the world from aliens, but also the ways in which saving the world from aliens sort of exempts you from doing well at your normal life. And I feel like being 13, like being in eighth grade, like having not as much scholastic pressure as I would have in high school, but still like a lot of pressure. And I was always someone who felt like I had to do everything like perfectly. And so that really appealed to me, like the urgency that sort of exempted these kids from their normal life, but they still had to keep up their normal lives. And like that contrast was very satisfying to me. Yeah, that's totally true. The yeah. stakes for the Animorphs were very, very high. Uh, yeah. Much more so than anything <laughs> I was dealing with. Yes. Because they're saving the world. Yes, and they there are. And there are five of them. Yes. And they're 13. Yes. Which also is, of course, a genre thing where, like, sure, you know, kids, the... kids are very effective. Adults are useless. They sure. can't trust the adults. They're yeah. the chosen ones. I, I, I get all of that. Still fail to see how the lizard is going to be useful. That's fair. Yeah, we'll find well, out. Yeah, you're going to have to read the first book and find out. All right, what other questions? <laughs> Are there any other questions that we can answer about the premise? They have to be able to touch the animal that they're turning into. Mm -hmm. Can they, for example, go to the zoo? What a good question. And, <laughs> and just sort of find the animal of the week there. Well, I believe they can. Because that seems like it would be much more useful than like walking around your house trying to find the nearest house centipede <laughs> to turn into that. Although week. if you want a house centipede, you're probably not going to be able to find one at the zoo, so you're going to have to do it in your house. Huh. Okay, so are the animals... I'm trying to remember the pictures that I remember from the covers. I remember there was an ant and a spider. I didn't like either of those. No. There was definitely some sort of big cat. Yes. Yep. Man, I forgot about the spider. Ooh. I feel at some point there was a fish or a dolphin. Oh, yeah. There are definitely There's, dolphins. Yeah. Okay. Because they live on the coast. That they live in the Midwest. Yeah, that's not helpful. Uh, so they find these animals. They touch them. They turn into the animal. And then they mm -hmm. use that animal's power to continue to fight this invading force of aliens. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, of course, being the animals um, protects their identity because they don't look like humans. They No one can recognize them as themselves. Sure. Are the invading bad aliens aware of the good aliens? Yes, they have been fighting a war with them on other planets. This is a continuation of an intergalactic yeah. war. And they're very aware of the presence of the Animorphs, and they think that they are the good aliens. They think they are Andalite bandits 
Like, they think a band of these good aliens landed on the planet are, like, living in the forest and are foiling their escapades. But they don't know that it's the kids. No. They think that they're right. somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> this is a wacky premise, you guys. <laughs> oh, and yeah. And yet, it's a really brilliant setup. Like, it really enables these uh, ongoing adventures. There's definitely a couple of Doctor Who episodes like this. Really? They were big Star Trek fans. Something okay. else that I learned. Yes, yes, definitely. Any sci-fi idea you can think of probably comes up in one of the other <laughs> books. There's at least one book that's like directly taken from an original series premise, Star Trek original series premise. Hmm. There's some Ender's Game going on here. The invading mm. aliens. Children having to save the world. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if that was a direct influence, but certainly genre-wise. Yeah. yeah. There's, that's an interesting way to do genre for, for kids, to take these tropes that are... Mm-hmm so universally acknowledged in other fields, in adult science fiction and both writing and television, and then to apply them to a kid's book. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, the books do, you'll get a better sense of this once you start reading them, but the books are very much aimed towards children. Certainly the language is very, it's not written very complexly, but it deals with a lot of very heavy issues. Hmm. And and that was also part of the appeal, I think, that like it takes these issues very seriously and also sort of couches them almost safely because these are kids doing this and... I hesitate to say it couches them safely because it is actually, like, these are very dangerous things they're doing, but, like, because it's in this familiar environment of, like, kids who go to school doing these things, Mm -hmm. um, I think that was, that contrast was also very appealing to me. I also think there's something about the format that we were talking about that makes it feel safer Mm. because it comes Mm -hmm. out every month and the situation is, there actually is a lot of kind of continuity from book to book, but the the premise doesn't really change until mm -hmm. it gets towards the ending. So you know that they're, they're going to get through it somehow. Sure. So it allows them to go to increasingly darker and darker places with really the alien engaged, war. like philosophically, with some of the things that they're doing. Because hmm. um, you yeah. know they're going to survive this week. Interesting. <laughs> How present are the adults in this world? The adults aren't very present for good. I would say there are some prominent controllers who are present. Okay. Like their parents are, they're present in most of their lives in a significant way, but aren't effective in, you know, they aren't involved in the fight. Um, and they're mostly, they're obstacles, but also, you know, the kids love them and don't want to hurt them. And the parents are really worried about them. <laughs> yeah. Their grades are slipping, that kind of thing. The grades are slipping. Suddenly there's lizards in their bedrooms. I mean, there's a lot going on <laughs> with these kids. <laughs> I really love how fixated you are on the lizard. <laughs> it's the first book. It must be important. <laughs> or maybe it won't be, and it'll just be, they picked a lizard. Why a lizard for the first one? They're not that cool. <laughs> I mean, they're cool, right? I have friends who are herpetologists. They're but What would be the coolest animal that would have gotten you in to read the first book? A tiger? Mm. A, a dragon? <laughs> okay, I, dragons aren't real, Gray. <laughs> sure, that's the problem here. <laughs> aliens though right but yeah. not dragons come on although it is true this, this is science fiction not fantasy um yeah yeah no that's a good point but that's a good point. yeah so think about a lizard though if you need to morph something small you're just starting this out you haven't gotten to the headspace where you're like sure i'll morph a fly a lizard is a pretty safe choice for like okay i still have four limbs i still have a body that's like not crushable by a fly swatter but i can be tiny and go places all right then two more questions okay one <laughs> i'm sure there'll be more but these two are uh where in the world does this take place it's oh, a mystery yeah so they can't tell one of us the, one of the best things about the premise is on the back they say like hi you know my name is jake that's the that's the grumpy boy but i can't tell you my last name because They'll the controllers are looking yeah. for us so there's kind of this framing device so that these books are being released to keep the kids in the loop about what the Animorphs are doing to save the world. So it's as if the alien invasion is actually happening and you're kind of following along. So they say, we can't tell you our last names, we can't tell you where we live, but, you know, we're here and we're going to stop the Yerks. It's not a very well thought out or like... it's. it's It only exists on the back of the book. Yeah, it's not really a framing device. They're not actually writing the books within the books. Because, of course, they wouldn't... They wouldn't tell the stuff they tell. Like, it's right. be much, yeah. much too identifiable. But as like, a, um, as, like, a marketing device, it works. Yes. And then the books uh, traditionally always start with a little bit of that, like, I can't tell you, you know. almost always, with, like, a couple exceptions. Like, my name is whoever is the narrator. Ah. And okay. then it's told in the first person, so it's nice that you know right away who the... Because it rotates points of sure, view, sure. who the narrator is. Is the lizard Jake's pet? 
Okay, I don't actually remember. No, I, I don't think I don't, so. We'll all find out together. Yeah, it's not. I know, I know, I don't think so. Because that is where I would start. Mm. I would start with an animal nearby. Well, you have cats. Cats would be really great to morph. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd read that. Oh, well, maybe it'll happen. There's got to be a cat one, right? <laughs> the second book has a cat Yeah, one. the second book has a cat on the cover. <laughs> great, great. Okay, I'm so excited about these books. This is such a bananas idea. Yep. I yep. love it. I write young adult fiction, or attempts to, and like it definitely has influenced the kinds of stories I'm interested in writing. Like, I feel like I've, I've moved away from it a little bit more in recent years. Looking back at some of the earliest things I've written, I'm like, oh yeah, I was trying to recreate the feel of this premise mm. without quite realizing it. And especially the like, you have to keep up your normal life, but you also have to do this incredibly important thing that will save the world. I can't believe there are aliens. I did not see that coming. <laughs> No one does. That's why the invasion can stay secret. Uh, okay. Well, I think those are all the initial questions I have. <laughs> Although I'm sure the first book will give me a few more. Yes. Hopefully, and hopefully answer some of the ones that you didn't even know you had. Yeah. Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So I uh, hope Gray isn't a controller. We would have just blown our cover. <laughs> I know. Well, it's been a few years. I feel like. <laughs> Either the invasion has been stopped or we're everywhere and you should just <laughs> lean into it. I might be the only one who isn't. You never know. That is very pod people. Oh, yeah. It really is. I think this is very influenced by standard sci-fi. And one of the great things about writing sci-fi for kids is that they probably haven't seen most of Star Trek. Like, they haven't watched things with pod people, like Invasion of the Body Snatcher stuff. They maybe haven't read Tolkien yet. There's a lot of, like, tropes you can do that will feel fresh to them when we would read this and be like, what? This is all stuff that exists in other series and other TV shows. That was definitely true for me. Yeah. I had no idea what I was getting into. Okay, Jenny. (laughs) What are the titles of the end Oh my god, okay. Uh, Invasion, Visitor, Encounter, Message, Predator, Capture, Stranger, Alien, Secret, Android, Forgotten, Reaction, Change, Unknown, Escape, Warning, Underground, Decision, Departure, Discovery, Threat, Solution, Pretender, Suspicion, Extreme, Attack, Exposed, Experiment, Sickness, Reunion, Conspiracy, Separation, Illusion, Prophecy, Proposal, Mutation, Weakness, Arrival, Hidden, Other, Familiar, Journey, Test, Unexpected, Revelation, Deception, Resistance, Return, Diversion, Ultimate, Absolute, Sacrifice, Answer, Beginning. Amazing. <laughs> you guys will have to testify that I wasn't looking at a list for yep, that. Yeah, I was looking at a list from about when you said alien, and all the rest of it was, was right. So I th- I'm pretty sure you got the beginning. Hooray! Okay. It was surreal to do that in front of people, incidentally. <laughs> One, that is some excellent free verse. I really, that is a great poem. I particularly appreciate I didn't write it poem, myself. that it ends with beginning. It's very interesting. Yeah, yep. And I'm sure that was not an accident for the book title. Two... Can we find a way for you to wrap that and have it be our opening music? Wow, I don't know. It's kind of long, <laughs> but I would I would be open to that. that Less does than a minute. Fun. I actually use it to um, when I use mouthwash at night because it's you know about a minute, and uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to like gargle with this mouth- mouthwash for a minute, so I just recite the N words. No wonder you still head. remember them. That's why I still remember them. Yep. I don't know if I've mentioned this recently. Yeah. But I think you are the coolest person I know. That is amazing. I really love that that is the conclusion that you drew from that love recitation. You so much. <laughs> that is amazing. Some yep. people sing songs powers. and recite the Animorph book. Yeah, it's true. You know, I guess that would have been an alternate thing to do while using mouthwash. <laughs> but no, Animorphs was, you know, the obvious choice. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. I do squats. <laughs> that is better. It's really a better choice, yeah. I couldn't keep track of them. They all, they all blend together in my well, head. Now, so when <laughs> I was reading them a lot, it used to be like, like number nine, The Secret. Like, I would know that immediately, but now I have to, like, go through the order. Um, like, I know them in order, but I don't know them For me, I think as much. I just knew them based on the number because... Mm-hmm. The number means more. Like. Right. The number signifies whose book it is, right? Yes. So there are five Animorphs, and then there's basically, after the first... 10 books, they've kind of established a pattern about who gets to tell each story. So Jake so it, is 1, 5, 15, 20. Well, 1, one, six, one and 6. 11. 1 and right, 6 in pair. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, sure. and, then, and then you sort of know, well, of the like 10 Jake books, like what the fourth switched. Jake yeah. book is. So like the numbers stand out to me in terms of what happens the in each book. The fourth Jake book is one of the few that doesn't start with my name is, actually. Interesting. Yeah. 
Why do you know that? <laughs> um, actually, because when I was I was emailing you guys about like what should we do for our intro, I was like, oh, is there anything they always say besides my name is? And so I picked one at random, and it was that one. It was um, warning, the warning, the warning, and and it opens with him logging onto a chat room, and he talks about his screen name. <laughs> And what is his screen name? It's like B-Ball something. Like no. he played basketball <laughs> yeah. before. Yeah. Um. I'm glad the basketball comes back because it's a, it's like kind of important in the first book. And then I think he never actually plays basketball. Their hobbies really take a hit. I'm sorry. That kid on the first cover plays basketball. He does not. That child is four feet tall. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, you're only looking at his head. So Still. I don't know. This is, a light, this is a light spoiler, but he does not make the team. <laughs> that seems right. <laughs> wow. I can't believe you spoiled that. I actually didn't even remember that but yes that's correct yeah. because he was a lizard at the time lizards can't catch it's that's true that was the problem yes they're like this lizard he really wants to be on the team but how is he gonna reach the basket so you see the kind of problems that their morphing caused in their lives well, I can see yeah this is the basketball team all sorts of things also, there are aliens who might be there. Yeah, I mean, you, aliens missing the basketball team, similar problems. Do you remember the eight the eight uh, other books? The oh, titles are um, much less interesting, but... Well, there's stuff, like, I remember in the time of the dinosaurs, that was... Uh, there's one in the time of the dinosaurs? Oh my god, I'm so sorry for spoiling that! It's a that. title spoiler. <laughs> okay. it's not, that's not that big of a deal. Yes, this is going to be Grace's favorite. It's a great one. Remember I really when you said it. every sci-fi premise you can <laughs> yes. think of? Yeah, there's some time travel. Yes. <laughs> um, that one is really something. So We're going to have fun excited. talking about that one. I actually don't remember. I mean, there's like the Andalite Chronicles, um, the Harkvajir Chronicles. Is it just Visser? Is it just called Visser? And the, is it just Elmas, the Elmas Chronicles? Yep. One of the Megamorphs, like the, it's like back to before. Yeah. Is that the third one with like the weird timelines? That's the last one, actually. Oh, it's the last one? The other one? two aren't that. It's Elfangor's Secret oh. and the Andalite's Gift. Which are oh, that's also pretty generic. Right, because it's just, it's not actually related to anything. Yeah. Uh, unlike the titles of the normal books, which are incredibly related. <laughs> sometimes you're like, oh yeah, this is an obvious connection. And sometimes you're like, they just needed a word and they picked a random one. Another thing, so they didn't pick it, it was all Scholastic. Oh yeah, that Scholastic would just be like, here's our best idea of something that matches like the plot of this book. Like you have some like the underground, you're like, oh yeah, that's a perfect title. And you're like, the secret? Like they're all, all, all they are is secrets. This whole, right. yeah, the invasion is pretty good. You said, where I, I feel like probably there's a lot of that. <laughs> I think normally we would sign off with uh, Gray predicting the plot of the next book, but uh, we already did that. And I predicted it pretty well, I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm confident that the really lizards good. are going to be a very important aspect <laughs> of this next book. <laughs> The whole series is basically focused on lizards. We've just been trying to hide that from you because we want to make it seem cooler. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, an invasion of alien lizards is... I'd read that book. I think the Yerks would be willing to be alien lizards. It probably beats being slugs. All right. See you all for episode one, The Invasion. All of this is excellent. (laughs) This is going to be so much fun. I'm super excited. I'm really looking forward to this. If you want to find us, we are at Animorphology.com and at Animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Animorphs ebooks on our website. My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And And this this is is Animorphology. Animorphology. One more time.